Yes, sir. Welcome to the Vol Bros. My name is Evan. This is my brother, Rustin, and we are two Vol Bros who are actually bros in real life. And a shocking turn of events, Georgia is good at football. And unfortunately, we were not very good at it yesterday. Um, I predicted 34-17. It's pretty close, 38-10. Rustin predicted 41-20, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yep. Um, so... We both expected, you know, Georgia to put up some points. They actually split the difference right between our two predictions. Um, literally right between, I think. So, uh, you know, that's a tough one for the Vols. Rustin, our first question that we always answer uh, as we start our show, what did you take away from what we saw yesterday? We have an extremely injured team. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that less than three years ago, Josh Heupel had 30 guys leaving the portal, um, at the exact same time he was dealing with recruiting restrictions. Um, you know, in games like yesterday, the inability to have depth showed up big. Um, you know, I think the, probably the biggest indicator of that was, you know, Tamari McDonald doesn't play. Jordan Thomas goes down really early in the first quarter. And our next option at the star is Will Brooks. Now, to Will Brooks's credit, he didn't grade out very well, but he played crazy hard. And, and I understand why he was on the field as much as he was, because I don't know if there was anybody on the field playing harder than him. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, you know, whichever group it is, PFF, whichever group it is that does the game breakdown uh, scoring and, um, you know, position grading. Um, we had four guys not start on defense. Their four replacements were our four lowest scoring defenders. Um, Andre Turrentine, I don't know that he could have played worse. Um, he was the lowest graded player on the field for both teams. Um, his grade was abysmal. That's never the stat that you want. <laughs> no. Um, and his grade was horrendous. Um, I, like at an, in a, at a level you don't typically see. Um, so not only was he, was he bad, he was extremely bad. And when you watch it back, you see it. He's, he's running around, not real sure what he's supposed to be doing. He had the coverage bust on the, on the sweet pass. That was his guy that caught the touchdown. Um, you know, in, on multiple plays, he's in the wrong position or he's dropping into the wrong zone. Um, when they went man, he rarely ever covered his man. He just had a horrendous day. Um, you know, and again, the the issue, the, I hate to keep picking on him, the issue of Elijah Herring um, reared its head again. Um, every time we tried to play man, Georgia attacked him because they knew he, he can't cover anybody. And, you know, it's very limiting as a defensive coordinator when you can't call the things that you want to call. And when you do take a gamble and call, you get burned for it. Um, you know, so it's hard. It's hard as a defensive coordinator to do that. You know, unfortunately, and, and here's the other part we don't know. There's a lot of guys I think playing right now injured. I think the injuries are actually worse than we probably realize. Yeah. Um, I watched Tank McCullough on a couple of plays 
same hand, um, hand that he yep. injured last year on a couple of different plays. I saw him kind of hold back with his hand real quick and or grab his hand. And, um, you know, I think he's playing with a pretty severe injury because he's no, he knows there's nobody behind him. Um, you know, so unfortunately, I think we've got a lot of guys injured. I think we got a lot of guys playing injured. And our lack of depth is starting to really show up. Yeah, the, the you know, about an hour before the game when all the injury reports started coming out, it was just a shot to the gut. You know, uh, I texted Rustin before the game started. And I said, well, Dane Davis is starting at right tackle. So the game's over before it even started. Um, and that's not a knock at Dane Davis. I don't mean it to be. It's just that he is not a SEC starting right tackle. I'm sorry. He's not, not against Georgia. He's not even a tackle. Um, he was recruiting right, a guard. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, when you're when your depth is so depleted that you're having to move guards to tackle, that's not good. Right. Uh, guards do not typically move as well as tackles do. So uh that that was not gonna be which I mean credit to Dane. He played well uh for what for being put in that position. But my overall thoughts about the game, you know. Uh, we've talked about it on here. You hear coaches talk about football being a game of momentum. And there were two plays in particular that I can think of that in the first half that really, really changed the momentum of the game. Uh, one of them was, and this is the only negative thing I'll say about the officiating, but one of them was the blatantly obvious face mask on Dylan Sampson that literally turned his head to the side. And then he tried, He kudos to Sampson. He sold it well too by then taking his hand and swatting at the guy's hand that was on his, his face mask at the time just to show the officials, hey, he had his hand on my face mask, and then they still didn't call it. Um, you know, that's that's a free 15 yards right there <clears throat> that Tennessee didn't get, and instead we, we end up punting. Uh, you never know. I think that was on a second down play when that happened. So instead of having one play to go nine yards, now they have three plays to go 10 yards, four if – if, you know, Hypo gets a little aggressive. So you never know what can happen. And instead our drive gets ended. And that's, that's, that's killer. That's killer. Um, Zach, yeah, <laughs> it's good to have you, Zach. Zach said, did you see what was under the rest uniforms? It was red. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's the only thing I'm going to say about the officiating. But another play that was just a, a you know, momentum killer we're moving the ball down the field. We got a first down, I think maybe one or two first downs. And then we got third and about three. We throw a quick slant to squirrel and it goes straight through his hands. Uh, people on Twitter were saying, well, it was a high throw. Well, not very high. <laughs> like, like it was about like right here. I mean, like it, it might've even hit him in the head uh, if he hadn't moved his head a little. I mean, like it was, it was right there. He's got to catch that. If, if he catches that, we still have all the momentum on that drive. We're marching down the field. That would have been at least the second, I think third, third first down of that drive, and instead we're punting. I mean, like those those two plays seem so insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but if we go down and we score on one of them, just one of them, then all of a sudden, because when the when the Dylan Sampson face mask happened, I think it was seven to three at that time, Tennessee in the lead. So if we go down and we score at all, but especially if we score a touchdown, it's fourteen to three. And uh, that, you know, psychologically, that could be a little bit different. Um, there was another play in the second half where, gosh, man, Squirrel had with a little screen to Squirrel. I mean, he 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 had at least eight to nine yards 
easy ball went straight through his hands. I mean, just straight through his hands. So, you know, th- those are killer. Those are killer. Um, when we have, when they're giving us, you know, eight to nine yards, we got to be able to take it. Uh, the other thing I noticed during the game in the second half, and it was it was Georgia's second drive of the second half. Once they got down, we we had them, you know, we had them at third and long, and then third and eight or nine and one at one point, and they converted both times on that same drive. And on that second time, when they uh, converted on that second third down, and they ended up with the ball in about the five yard line after that play. And you could just see the the body language of Tennessee's defense walking around. Like you could just tell they knew we can't stop them. And that was really disheartening uh, to see. That was really, really disheartening. So uh, those are my main takeaways from the game. Um, just to piggyback on what you just said about squirrel letting that ball go through his hands. Somebody made a comment this morning. It made me curious. So I went back and looked. We had nine possessions that we did not score on. Five of them ended on drops on third down. And I don't mean bad passes. I don't mean bad passes. I mean drops. It's hard to play quarterback if your receivers don't catch the ball on third down. And, And if you are putting the ball on them and they're not catching it, I'm not sure what else you can do. All five of them, it would have been a first down if they catch the football. Um. You know, you think about Georgia, they had one drop that I can remember for the whole game. One. That was it. And it was that dude that was wide open, standing in the middle of the field, the ball hitting him literally right square in the chest, and he dropped it. Um, That was on third down for them. Uh, I think that was right at the first possession of the second half, I think. I can't remember for sure. But, um, you know, that's all all I can remember for them. Uh, let's see what some folks are saying in the comments. Uh, Brant has a good question here. He said, hey, Brant, welcome, buddy. It's good to have you with us. He said, how concerned should we be three years into the Hypel era that if the Stars backup goes down, we're left with a walk-on in that position? I think that's a fair question. Uh, I think that is a totally fair question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. Was Brandon Turnish hurt? Like, what What was up with that? Is he? Yep. Okay, well, there's part of the answer. And that was my other comment here was uh, that's where that's where injuries come into play that we may not even be fully aware of. Because, you know, the other guy who's practiced at the star is Danico Slaughter, but they never once considered moving him inside and putting somebody else in at the corner, which told me that their next option at that corner is banged up also. Um, we never really saw Brandon Turnage because he's banged up. Like they're, they're just, it's a mash unit. They, they're just trying to get five guys out there in the secondary. The other part of that is you say, well, why wouldn't they put in like a, a young guy or something like that, a freshman? My answer to that, I guess, would be I'd be curious to see how eligibility numbers are lining up right now. Um, if if there's one guy that's like a true freshman or something who's a safety who may have already played in three games, then they're probably not going to want to blow his red shirt against Georgia. Uh, I could be wrong. Um, well, I mean, it's like I said, you know, they've trained four scholarship players to play the star. 
three of them are injured and one's playing the other corner right now because at least one corner that we know of is injured and it sounds like there's more than one. Um, you know, so technically Will Brooks is actually probably fifth string, but they had to go with him. Brain also asked, in your opinion, is this year's team better or worse than Heupel's first team at UT? That's a good question. So I cheated. I saw this question in the box and I looked something up real quick. Um, you know, if you go back to that first year when when Heupel was was getting started, the offense played really, really well. But the defense was abysmal. And the games we won, we won because we were outscoring people. Um, that defense finished the year 90th in the country. Right now, we're 44th. So we're pretty much more than double better on defense than we were two years ago. You know, unfortunately, we've got a lot of injuries on both sides of the ball, and it's not it's not really showing up as well. But you know, we've we've improved, and I would say this team is better than that team. Um, we just, we just can't get healthy. Jeff, thank you so much for the super chat. We really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. He asked, do you guys think this coaching staff's reluctant to play younger guys very much will eventually hurt them in, in recruiting? Uh, so if we're speaking specifically about the secondary, the reason that there's not a whole bunch of young guys playing in the secondary right now is because we have, I would be shocked if we didn't have the oldest secondary in all of college football. I mean, like we've got at least five, I think, sixth-year guys back there. Uh, no, maybe four. Um, we we did that one, and when we did our uh, position preview, we were talking about how many seniors were on the team and how many of them were uh, sixth-year guys, and it's a shocking number. And so, um, you know, I, we have just crazy amount of uh, – uh, seniority i guess you could say in the secondary but i think they have played some young guys i mean we've seen uh jordan murphy get in the secondary a little bit a linebacker my goodness uh yeah uh a linebacker uh we've got t lander and arion carter both true freshmen who are playing a ton uh t lander was in there a ton last night arion carter's hurt but he was playing a ton before that um you know when you think about cam selden he's in there and he's played every single game this year uh, David Hobbs is getting a whole bunch of minutes on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. So I think that they are playing young guys. Um, it's just that there are so many older guys taking advantage of their COVID year and that kind of thing that it's hard to to put them on the side uh, when you can develop those younger guys for a year. That's a great this question. Was a, this was a huge recruiting weekend too. We had a ton of stars on the, on the sidelines and um you know, I would encourage you go read Austin Price's write-up from what those recruits are saying coming off this weekend. Um, their reviews are glowing. They're talking about the atmosphere. They're talking about how well the team gets along with each other. They're talking about how much they like the coaching staff. Um, I would bet there's a couple of five stars that we're going to hear commitments from very soon. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about very specific things that they loved and um, one this weekend went so far as to say he can't see anywhere else being better. Um, and that was a five-star kid. So well, that's what you want. You know, <laughs> the, the positive that comes off of a game like that, if you're a coach is, Hey, we need you look at it. Look at our lack of depth. Yeah. You come in here. We're going to give you a shot. You know, you're, yeah. you're going to get a chance. 
Um, and a bunch of these guys are leaving at the end of the year. So we're going to, we're going to need a whole lot more depth in a hurry. Um, you know, they've, they've got, they've got immediate playing time to sell. And I think, you know, they've proven that whoever the best guy is, is who's going to go out there. You know, they don't, they don't have an issue playing anybody. The, the best player is going to be on the field. Well, you think about Squirrel White, he got quality minutes at wide receiver last year as a true freshman. Yeah. Now as a sophomore, he's never comes off the field. Um, Zach said, hey, Zach, welcome, buddy. It's good to have you. He said, first off, let me say my VFL always will be, but I hate losing to Georgia, probably even more than Bama. I understand, man. I totally understand. Uh, Aftermath, Chris said, hey, welcome, Aftermath. Good to have you. He said, Eric Kane said it best last week. Tennessee doesn't just lose. They implode. I think the Alabama game is a very uh, good explanation of that right there. I think that's an accurate descriptor of the Alabama game. Uh, Billy, welcome, Billy. He said they have terrible play calling, and again, they do not play like the number one team. They will never be one if they continue to play like this, plus hardly blitz and no occasional trick plays um, like they did on us. So I'm glad you mentioned this, this, Billy, about the trick plays because I don't know what it is about the University of Tennessee but we have to have the least success rate of any Division One FBS school against a quarterback or a tailback pass or like a a double pass play or something like that. Every single time we bite on it, I can think of one time, and and it's sad that all these different teams know we're that bad at it, and so they all come after us that way. But I can think of one time in the last two years when we didn't just horrifically bite on a double pass. And that's what exactly what happened yesterday for Georgia's first touchdown. Uh, was not, was not pretty, was not pretty. Uh, as far as the play calling goes, there are a lot of people, you know, complaining on Twitter today about play, play calling as well. Hypel's calling the plays. Like people are calling for Halsley to be fired and stuff. He ain't calling the plays. Hypel's yeah. calling the plays. So neither was neither was Alex Golish. Josh Heupel has never allowed a coordinator to call plays anywhere he's been. It's always him. Uh, Zach said, "I'm sorry. It's going to take more than one day to get over this." Well, I understand. Uh, the only thing you see said, even with all that, what we were talking about earlier, with you know all the uh, what we were talking about, she said, the "Lack of confidence in the players by the play calling is indefensible. That O line was playing well, and we kept taking the ball out of the running backs' hands." Okay, so I, I, I think the best example of what the only 10 you see is saying right here was the last play of the first half. Uh, it was very clear. We had eight seconds on the clock. It was very clear what happened in that huddle. Um, Hypel, I mean, from what I'm guessing, I obviously wasn't in the huddle, but based on what happened, here's what I'm guessing is what was said in that huddle. Hypel told Joe Milton, he was like, if you see all their defenders drop back into the end zone, you just throw the ball away so that we don't lose out, you know, try to force a throw in it, get an interception and end up, you know, missing out on a field goal too. Well, Joe, you know, snaps the ball, looks, and they have seven guys just standing in the end zone. So he just chucked it and threw it away. Uh, to me, that shows a lack of trust or confidence in your quarterback to not make a stupid throw into you know, coverage. Yeah. You want to tell him don't, you know, don't force a ball, that kind of thing. But the fact that he just looked and saw it was like, Oh, better throw the way. Boom. I mean, like he didn't even attempt like a back shoulder throw to somebody on a sideline that only, you know, our guy could catch. Uh, it was just, no, I'm chucking it out into the first row of the, the stands. 
Now we did get the field goal out of it, but you know that I don't know. I, I'm not sure if he would have told Hen and Hooker the same thing. Uh, I'm gonna have to disagree on that one. <laughs> At that point, it's 24 to seven. We're out of timeouts. It, remember, we had a play called. We were about to run a play, and Kirby freaked out and realized this is not in our favor, and Kirby called timeout because Kirby's defensive coordinator was in a base coverage, and Kirby was like, what in the world are we doing? And so Kirby called timeout, put everybody in the end zone. Um, you know, we were about to run a play. Josh Heupel had no issue running the play he had called. And And I do think that taking a shot at the end zone, the play before that was brilliant because, um, you know, here's the defense. They're trying to keep everything in front of them, preserve a field goal. Uh, If we go to the end zone, so what? We still got plenty of time to run at least one more play and then kick a field goal. I thought that was a genius call. We had no timeouts. It's 24 to seven. Um, The worst thing could possibly happen would be get tackled on the one or the two and the clock run out and we get nothing, or even worse, we throw an interception because we're trying to force something into double coverage in every part of the end zone and come away with nothing. I, I would have told him to do the exact same thing. As soon as Kirby changed that that defensive call and we looked up and there's seven dudes standing in the end zone, nothing positive is going to come from that. And we can get three points and only be 24 to 10 at the half, which is very manageable. Um, I, I completely agreed with that call. I thought it was really, really smart. Um, you know, take four or five seconds off the clock so we don't have to kick it off again after the field goal. I, I thought that was exactly the right thing to do. Um, there's no way I would have forced a ball in the end zone right there, but can you imagine, can you imagine what people be saying today if we had lost 38 to seven and, you know, we had forced a ball in the end zone into quadruple coverage. Well, I'm sure. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, we heard some of it. <laughs> uh, Brennan said, hey, Brennan, welcome, buddy. It's good to have you. He said, Joe played well. I counted six bad passes the entire game. Uh, he, after made some, first... he made some mistakes. There were some balls that I know he probably wants back, but I go back to five drops on third down. Not five incompletions, five drops. Yeah. And, you know, even if the rest of his passes weren't great on third down, he put it where it needed to be. And, and his receivers have to catch the ball. I mean, that's all it comes down to. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised with Chaz Nimrod. I felt like as the game went on, he really tried to assert himself as the guy. Um, He, I thought he was running great routes. He was, he was when, you know, when a guy runs a route and, and he wants the ball, you can tell a difference between him and a guy who's just running routes. Chaz Nimrod was running routes with purpose. He wanted the football. He made it very clear he wanted to be targeted. And I thought that was a a huge sign that somebody at wide receiver was finally stepping up and saying, hey, if none of y'all will, I'll be the man. Um, Because Joe noticed that too, because Joe started targeting him. Oh, yeah. Oh, quarterbacks know. They can feel it. You know, Lord knows Keaton's not that guy. And doesn't want to be that guy. So, you know, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see Chaz Nimrod go, well, if y'all don't want it, I do. Um, that was that was big. He was catching it. That's the main thing. The receiver was receiving the ball. 
He did. Uh, that's why he had one of the third down drops. He was one of the five, but at least he was trying to make a play. He he was. I mean, the whole the whole game, he was running routes hard. He wanted the ball. Well, one of the passes that was incomplete to him was on a fourth down play in the end zone, mm-hmm. when the defender literally was holding on to him. Yeah probably for more than three seconds of the play, and <laughs> including holding to the back of his pants, yeah. holding his pants. Even Gary Danielson was like, yeah, he had his hand all over him. <laughs> he goes, that's a hold. And then uh, what's the dude's name? Sarah Torg, whatever the guy's name, Sarah Torg. Yeah. Um, even he was like, yeah, that's, that's holding. <laughs> and uh, you know, that it didn't get called. Um, but in that, on that play, you know, Chaz was not the first read on that progression, but Joe ended up coming back to him and trying to get the ball to him anyway because he had confidence he was going to catch it because he was the only one catching it consistently the whole game long. Um, Ramel did a, a better job of catching it last night. Squirrel had a rough night. He had a rough night. Um, Aftermath, Chris said the interception being called back for a hold after he started running back was one of the biggest momentum killers to me. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge... I mean, I think ultimately is probably... the whether or not so they made a big deal to say that he held him before the ball was thrown now when you watch it back he he tugged on his jersey pretty obviously about two steps before he caught the ball or the ball got there so it makes you wonder was that ball in the air or not you know it makes you wonder but uh you know whatever i i get it but i agree though it was a huge momentum swing no doubt about it um I wonder about that one, but I said I wouldn't say anything else about the officials, so I just broke that rule, I guess. Um, Elijah, welcome, Elijah. He said, all I'm going to say is half off to Georgia. They're easily the best team in the country. 100%. It's not I totally close. agree. Yeah, I totally agree with you and Rustin. It's not close. They are the best team in the country. Uh, Mino Likey, <laughs> nice name. Welcome, buddy. He said, uh, we've been waiting for your show all day. Best evaluations. Thanks. For, hey, we appreciate that very, very much. Thank you so much for joining us. That's that's awesome. Thank you. The, the unfortunate thing, and, you know, any Bama fan's going to be really happy to hear me say this because I don't con- congratulate them very often, but um, honestly, the second best team in America now is Alabama. They're starting to get all their guys that were injured back. Um, they are playing as well as anybody in the country. And I think if it, it, it's not going to happen because the odds are against them, but if somehow Georgia and Alabama got in the playoffs, I think we'd be looking at an SEC national championship. Um, but unfortunately, there's probably no statistical way that's going to happen, no, uh, which is a shame because nobody in the country's outside of Georgia, nobody in the country is playing as well as Alabama is right now. Um, the only 10 you see said, I'm sorry, Evan, Joe missed wide open players and struggled to go through his, his progressions. I've been on the receivers all season, but Joe and Hype will have to take his licks today. I understand there were a few missed throws. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I remember one to squirrel white, uh, I think in the second half, yeah, uh, squirrel was open. And he just, he just missed him. Yeah. He, just missed he, had, him. he had four or five bad decisions and or bad throws, but I mean, it was a group effort. He also had five drops on third down where he hit him in the hands. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. I have to wonder how much of it was concern over getting killed. But, um, you know, it is what it uh, is. Daniel said, does Joe have the authority to read coverage on both sides or is he restricted to one side? 
Um, I would, you can answer, but I would venture to say it depends on what play is called. Yeah. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a quick route, if it's a quick game call, he's reading one side of the field. Um, honestly, with the, as bad as our offensive lines banged up right now, he's probably reading one side of the field on any intermediate throw also, cause he just doesn't have very long. Um, he's never getting to all his progressions cause the offensive line is just not going to give him, give him enough time for that. So, I mean, guys, we started Jeremiah Crawford and Dane Davis at tackles yesterday. Nothing good was going to happen. Um, the first touchdown, no offense to Jalen Wright. The first touchdown was just the perfect call against the perfect defensive call. And we Cooper Mays. Well, partly, but also partly the linebacker on that side pulled an Elijah Herring yeah. in the wrong gap. Um, you know, we caught him oh, in okay. one. We caught him in a one high defense. They had no extra guy in the box. They had no extra safety, and it just so happened we ran to the exact spot that the one linebacker made a mistake. And kudos to Jalen Wright. He outran everybody after that. He sure did. But I, I thought it was real telling when they interviewed Kirby during the game, and he said, "Yeah, they caught us in a one high. That won't happen again." And he made sure it didn't. They went cover four. They had two safeties back. They walked the corners back and put another guy in the box, and we couldn't run the ball after that. Um, But if you all are wondering why the flats and the quick outs and all those things were wide open all day, it's because they just walked everybody back and put seven in the box and said, we'll give you the sideline. We don't care about that. You can throw it out there. We'll go tackle you. Um, You know, they they weren't worried about us catching the ball in front of them out there, but but they – Sure wanted to stop the run. And and we didn't catch it. So <laughs> and we played into their hands a little bit there. Um also, you know, Hypel's famous for people not mo- mocking the offense or whatever, but uh there are times when there's a whole side of the field where the receivers don't even run routes. You know, it's just it's literally one half the field is running routes. So on those plays, obviously Joe is just looking to one side. Um, that's a good question. Elijah said, having to put a walk-in in or walk-on in the game while down 20-plus against the number one team is so sad. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, I agree with you totally. Uh, Daniel said, I'm still learning, but I seem to keep seeing soft coverage specifically on Warren this week, and he isn't getting targets when he's open. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we got two really good tight ends. And we have not thrown the ball to them very much. We yeah. should be throwing the ball to them. And you're right. It was cover four. It was very soft coverage. They they were letting them catch the ball in front of them and just coming up and making tackles. They were they were betting that we couldn't complete enough passes and or run the ball long enough to sustain drives. Um, I I can't explain why we're not throwing the ball more to Jacob Warren and McAllen Castles. Like it's open. They're there. I, I don't I don't know. It makes no yeah. sense to me. We tried to last night on uh, Joe Milton's only reception of the game. That was a tight end screen to the middle of the field. And yeah, but the uh, whoever was at left tackle, I guess it was Jeremiah Crawford. Mm-hmm. He got bull rushed so bad that the guy <laughs> moved him between Joe and McAllen Castles, and Joe threw it right off Jeremiah Crawford's helmet. Um, but again. Why? I mean, I understand the call. They're they're trying to catch Georgia in a stunt there, but 
why are we not attacking the middle of the field with those guys? You know, what, what is wrong with a 10 yard curl? Why, why, why can we not throw that ball? Um, I, I don't know if it's because they're afraid the offensive line can't hold up long enough for him to get in the route, but it, it's there. And at some point we've got to go okay. get it. Aftermath, Chris said plot twist. Joe Milton was the sign stealer from Michigan. <laughs> Uh, the only Tennessee said, plus we have to realize our defense plays opposite one of the fastest tempo offense in the country. Our defense lives on the field, which does mean that they are on the field more for more snaps than most places, which is why depth becomes even more important. I think that's a good point. I'm a possession um, yesterday was 41 minutes, Georgia, 19 minutes, Tennessee. That not ideal. A very long time. Not ideal. <laughs> uh, Tony, Read my mind. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate that. Welcome, Tony. Good to have you. He said, I don't care. Ricky Gibson should be playing. That's who I meant to say earlier when I said Jordan Murphy. I meant Ricky Gibson. Those don't say anything alike. I don't know how I got Jordan Murphy out of that. But I assume that's you're who I meant. Jordan Thomas. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. It's Ricky Gibson. That's who I was thinking of. Thank you. And and I, I'm wondering if he's injured um, because he was not ever an option yesterday, and he should be getting reps. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, and when they were when they were really when they were really decimated and needed extra guys back there, they they didn't have any issue putting him in a couple of weeks ago. That that's why I'm wondering if he's banged up too. Uh, Carl might have the best point of the evening so far. He said it looks bad, but Josh Heupel era bad will be eight and four, not four and eight. Go big orange. Amen. I think that's a great point, Carl. I think that is a fantastic <laughs> point. Well done, sir. Well done. Uh, let's see. Aftermath said, me and my wife were at the game, and I said it early in the first quarter, they would do a double pass because we were on top of the run, and that gets us every time. Yep, he's right. I, every every team in America knows it, and, and I don't know why in the world that we are that bad on covering a, a double pass, but we well, are terrible at it. Notice whose side they ran it to. Like They didn't run it at Tank McCullough because he's seen it. They ran it at Andre Turrentine. And if you watch it back, Andre Turrentine is about three yards from the line of scrimmage when the when the running back throws the ball. Like he is flying up to stop the run and has no concept. You literally watch the receiver run right past him, and he has no yeah. concept that that's his man. Yeah, he just turned around and looked at him in the end zone like, oh, man. <laughs> yep. Uh, Dester, welcome, Dester. Good to have you, buddy. He said, uh, Joe's not the only problem yesterday. I agree totally. Yeah. Um, Carl said, not really fast paced, 20 seconds of looking at the sidelines. They look at defense and change plays at the sidelines. They don't trust Joe to read and react. So Carl is corrected. They have looked at the sideline more this year than normal. But what's kind of shocking is they're still in the top 10 in the country as far as time between snaps. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, they're still one of the fastest offenses in the country, even though compared to last year, it feels like they're, in quicksand sometimes they're going yeah. so slow, but they're still actually one of the fastest. I'm not so sure that they don't trust Joe to read and react. I don't think they trust the offensive line. Uh, I think they're trying to make sure that, that they get in the right play to get the ball out where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. And they're trying to identify where, where is the pressure going to come from so that we can try and avoid that spot and get out. Um, before the offensive line caves. Again, our starting tackles yesterday were Jeremiah Crawford and a converted offensive guard. Um, not a, and, and our backup left guard. 
Um, it, it's just not – it's hard to call plays when you don't think you can block anybody. Yep. After Matt Chris said, I think the only good thing that happened last night was we beat our decibel record by 12 and hit 137 after that touchdown run. It was stupid loud. It was an amazing atmosphere. So you're exactly right. Tennessee not only broke their own, the, the previous record for Neyland Stadium was last year at the Alabama game. It was 129 was the decibel record. Uh, last night it hit in the first quarter. Uh, it hit 137, which not only broke Tennessee's record, it broke the national stadium record. The loudest previously was a Nebraska game, and it was 133.5. We beat it last night at 137 decibels. So now Tennessee, Neyland Stadium, holds the record for loudest college football stadium in the country, and which we all knew was the case anyway. So now there's scientific measurements to prove it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Billy said, I was afraid of Hypo play calling. If he continues to play like this, he'll be fired. I mean, the next year or two, maybe three. Uh, yeah, let's wait and see what happens as far as like play. Here's the thing. We have no clue who's going to be on this team next year mm -mm. with the transfer portal and everything. That offensive line, we might see three new guys on that offensive line next year starting in game one. Uh, we might see a receiver or two come in. I think we'll see the, I think we'll see the same running backs, but uh, we might see, you know, all new folks. So let's, let's wait and reserve judgment until we see a little bit more of a sample size. Um, I think there's a very high probability you're going to see a five-star freshman starting at right tackle. Uh, Elijah, I hope so. Elijah Moore said, I mean, I was, he was there last night. He said almost every other play there was open receivers that just didn't get the ball thrown to him. Yep. I understand that. Uh, let's see. Uh, the only 10 you see said Georgia had 39 carries for 159 yards. We had 25 carries for 130 yards. Jalen Wright ran for a touchdown, then he touched the ball two more times for the half. Please explain that decision to me. That's what I was just saying. They they changed defenses completely after that first touchdown. They walked another guy up in the box and went cover four. Um, you know, there wasn't anywhere to run. They had us outnumbered seven to five. Well, and another part of that was, so it was either the second or third possession, Jabari Small came in the game for a possession. And then, you know, we, we had the ball for a little bit, and then Georgia went on an incredibly long time of possession, possession, <laughs> and uh, we didn't get the ball back for a long time. And so that was part of the problem was we just didn't have the ball because if, if we, we weren't getting first downs, and so – you know, when we did have the ball, there was maybe like three, maybe six plays in a possession where we could have handed it to him or not, which we should have gotten more touches. I totally agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, we just didn't have the ball to give it to him. That was the problem. But I agree. When we did have it, we should have tried to target him more. Uh, Fort Rep one, welcome, buddy. He said, did Gerald Mincy play? He did, but it was very, very late in the game because he was, emergency only player availability because he was hurt. Uh, so that's, that's why he was not in the game for the majority of the game. Which, uh, which, which tells you how bad we were on the offensive line that we literally had a guy listed emergency only and we ended up yeah. using him. Yeah. Um, that's never a good day. 
Uh, Doug, welcome, buddy. Doug said, I'll have to watch the replay. Got to go to bed early day tomorrow. We need more Jimmys and Joes to compete with Georgia and Alabama. Totally agree, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, 100% and on offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. And the defensive secondary and offensive line, we got to have more more dudes. Hey, man, I was I was thrilled with how T-Lander played. He, he don't care, man. He'll go in there and he'll hit people. Like <laughs> He don't care. Uh, he, I love watching him just fly around. He's yeah. not always in the right spot, but he, he can never doubt his effort. I'm excited to see him after a year in a college strength program. He's, he's going to be a dude. Elijah said the SEC championship game is going to be so amazingly good. Yep, it will be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the winner gets into the playoff. <laughs> um, crazy things could happen within the next two weeks. Yep. And I mean, if if Washington wins out, they're in. If Ohio State or Michigan, either one wins out, they're in. If uh Texas wins out. If Texas wins out, then you've got a one loss Big Twelve champion. Um if uh I thought Florida State would win out, but now that Jordan Travis is done, I think Clemson can get him in the ACC championship and that'll knock them out of the hunt or Louisville. Um, I think it might be against Louisville. And so, I mean, that, that game that can knock them out. That's actually could help the SEC make sure they get at least one team in. Yeah. Because the thing is you look at Michigan, Ohio state, for whatever reason, the, the committee views them very favorably. And so if the only loss that one of them has is to the undefeated other one, and if Bama beats Georgia and Washington wins out and you've got Texas who beat Georgia, or Alabama, which is the SEC champion earlier in the year, I mean, surely that they would at least, surely in the, if, if Florida State doesn't win out, which if Florida State does win out, they're in. So there's three spots right there. Florida State, Washington, and uh, either Ohio State or Michigan, whichever one, if all three of them win out, they're in the playoff. So now you've got a one-loss Michigan team, a one-loss or Ohio State, whichever one loses, a one-loss Big 12 champion Texas, and if Alabama beats Georgia, two one-loss SEC teams, and the Big 12 champion beat the SEC champion if Alabama wins. Like there are scenarios here where the SEC does not get into the college football playoff. Um, I it'll be wild. So, uh, I think Georgia. I think it's, I think it's going to be a moot point. I think Georgia is going to beat Alabama, but um, we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, let's see. Billy said, if we had gotten good play calling and no drops and no overthrows, we might have had a chance to beat Georgia. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Bare bare minimum, you take away the five drops. If we just stay on the field a little longer, um, you know, the the five drops were killers. Like, you can't drop the ball on third down. Like, it it, it just – you immediately put your defense back out there you you eliminate confidence in moving the ball at all like there's so many things that that are affected on a third down drop and they got to catch the ball i mean that's all it comes down to uh 
Steven said, Hey, welcome, Steven. Good to have you, buddy. He said, Please fire Tim Banks and hire Derek Mason. That's all I want for Christmas. <laughs> so I would love to have Derek Mason. Um, my only question would be, are you good with our defense being terrible for two years? Because Tim Banks runs a four-two-five, and we have recruited to the four-two-five, and Derek Mason runs a three-four. We have not recruited those type of players. So in order to make that switch, it takes a solid two years to recruit a completely different defensive roster to fit that personnel. Could be a South Sinceri situation again where he tried to force a 3-4 and it didn't work out. Yeah. I would, um, love, I would love to have Derek Mason. He's a fantastic play caller. He's a great defensive mind, but we're not fit for that right now. Uh, Brennan said, don't underestimate the walk-on, though. Will Brooks played great. Uh, I mean, like he – he stuck he his head there. He did a good job. Um, let's see. Uh, Daniel said one specifically I'm speaking of, third and eight or third and nine, Jacob gets the sticks and sits down wide open. But Joe throws the opposite side on a deeper slant play and a double coverage. Why? That's a poor decision by Joe. I mean, that that's all I can say. Like, it was a poor decision. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have done it. Um. We also we also don't know what the what he's seeing. I mean, you know, it's it's easy to look from above and and see the field and go, oh, that guy's open. Doesn't mean the quarterback can see. There could be a bag judge standing in the way. There could be a line judge or a lineman standing in the way. Um, you know, even Gary Danielson during the game, and I made the mistake of unmuting, which as soon as I did it, I knew I'd made a mistake and I completely muted it back afterwards. Um, but there was a scramble drill. And on the scramble drill, you're taught to get to the sideline and then get vertical. Well, I can't remember who he threw the ball to, but Ramel Keaton got to the sideline and got vertical. Ramel had been vertical for maybe two steps, and Joe was already throwing the ball to the other guy. And they show the replay on, on TV, and Gary Danielson's like, oh, he's got to see that guy releasing up the sideline. It's like, Gary, are you freaking kidding me? Like, we're talking about a millimeter of a second. He's got his eyes in one spot of the field. He had, he doesn't even see Ramel get to the sideline. He's just trying not to get killed and get rid of the ball. And to say that, you know, a split second later, he would have found Ramel up the sideline if he had held on to it, you know, it's just lunacy. And, and I'm sitting there going, can, can we please replace Gary Danielson with anyone who knows anything about X's and O's, just literally like my 10 year old could probably do as good of a job as Gary Danielson. And I, I, I cannot fathom how the man keeps his job. It's unbelievable. So I totally agree with Tony's point here. He said, if the defense wants a rest, get off the field on third down. We're terrible on third and long, especially. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been saying that for two weeks. If they want to rest, then get, then earn it, get off the field. Um, I think that's I think that's one of the things that really disappointed me, not just today, but also in the second half against Alabama. Our defensive line has disappeared in big games. Like they're yeah. not playing that well. Um, they do a lot, it's a lot of stalemating, a lot of chicken fighting. We're not we're not getting to the quarterback. Uh welcome, Eric. Good to have you, buddy. He said, What's up, Evan Rustin? Rough loss yesterday, but I'm still all of all win or lose. I'm praying Nico Yamaliava. Gets to play the entire second half this Saturday against Vanderbilt. I mean, what's it going to hurt? Uh, yeah, I hope that happens too. I, hope, I mean, I'm with it you. Should happen. 
Um, Elijah said it wasn't only our decibels, but it was a college ball record. That's true. Uh, somebody else says, why do we pump in sound? Every stadium in America pumps in sound. It's not fake crowd noise. It's music. And that music, like when they did third down for what and stuff like that, that music, the decimal readers are hearing that as well as the crowd and the band getting loud all together simultaneously. And all those things accumulate into the loudest sound in college football. Uh, every stadium in the country does that. And, and decibel readers are hearing that music that they're pumping in too. So um, that's, that's where that's coming from. Um, let's see. Uh, the only thing you see said, did anyone else notice that the grown man Bowers, who, by the way, is an incredible player, uh, didn't get touched on those third down conversions? Why did we not bump him and get physical? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Totally fair question. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman, uh, Harrison, so- Roman Harrison jammed him one time coming off the line. I'm, I'm not sure why we weren't trying to jam him more coming off the line. Um, Carl. <laughs> Carl said, what, is he good? <laughs> yeah, he is. Carl, that's a pretty good one. Um, Brennan, I like what Brennan said here. Due to injuries, we went from attacking last year to defending this year on our offensive front. Yep. Yep. That's a fair point, absolutely. Uh, Robert, good to have you, buddy. He said, uh, Josh Hype will be here for a long time. I agree totally. I 100% agree. Uh, Daniel agrees with Rustin at right tackle for next year. Um, yes, uh, Elijah said, are you talking about Seton Rustin? And that's who he's talking about. And Daniel agreed. He said, he thinks Seton's a lock. That would be wonderful. We need him. Um, yeah, just look at his comments from this weekend. He he's very connected to Glenn Ellerby. He's very connected to Josh Heupel. He made some, I'm not going to say derogatory, but he made some, you know, our, our primary competition there is Colorado. And uh, he made some comments about how much better Neyland was than being at Colorado. Um, he's that kid's done. He's evolved. Uh, Eric said, I don't think the problem with this football team is having is on coach Heupel. He can only coach these guys and the players have to go out and execute those plays. Coach Heupel or assistants can't go play for them. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. Um, but at the end of the day, they have to train the players to go out and do it. So it's definitely a double-edged thing. You know, <clears throat> I remember coaching basketball and baseball and you tell the kids to do one thing and then they literally go do the exact opposite. And you're like, well, that's not what I said, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I totally get it. Billy said, you know, along with all the guys that, we just mentioned, you know, coming next year, we'll also have Nico. Hopefully he can step in and play well. I had a quarterback once that um, we were about to go into the half and called timeout, called him over to the sideline. It was a weird situation. I wanted to make sure he understood what his options were. And, and I sat there and explained to him exactly what to do. If this happens, throw it away. If this happens, you know, attack this part of the field, Make sure you throw it in the end zone. So if it's, you know, whatever happens, we still got the opportunity for the field goal. Do not take a sack. Whatever you do, don't run around and run out time and then try to throw it in the end zone. Make a quick decision. Get rid of the ball within two seconds. And then, you know, 
If we get it, great. If not, we'll kick the field goal. Ball snapped. That joker ran around for 12 seconds and then threw it away. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, what on earth? And and all of his teammates who just stood in the huddle and heard me unpack that for him are all looking at him going, what the heck are you doing? So he jogs off the field and I said, repeat to me what I just said. He couldn't do it. He didn't hear a word of it. I'm like, all right, there we go. We're dealing with teenagers. All right, let's go to halftime. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, Elijah said, if, if Florida State wins out, will they get in or will the committee take the injury into account? That's a great question. And there's no way of knowing. Uh, I think that they still get in. If yeah. I mean, they, they always value wins. That's just the way it is. They, they value wins. They're not going to leave um, an undefeated team out. Especially not an undefeated conference champion. Uh, because any, they would be replaced with a one-loss team. And they they just won't do that. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, let's see. Audrey, welcome, Audrey. Good to have you. She said, I went back and pulled the play-by-play for each game this season. 14 live ball penalties for opponents. 43 live ball penalties for Tennessee. 23 pre-snap penalties for opponents. 42 pre-snap penalties for Tennessee. She said, this, this is a problem. I agree. Um, the pre-snap penalties, that is more of an issue in my opinion because we can't control what they do and do not call in live ball situations. Prime example, Dylan Sampson having his helmet turned sideways yesterday and they don't call it. Um, the pre-snap penalties, though, that's on us. Like, we we got to fix that. No doubt about it. Um. Wellington, you see, said, Jordan Travis gave me deja vu. I'm assuming a Brew McCoy's injury. Uh, she said that has to be means, devastating. I think she means Hendon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that has to be devastating for Florida State fans. That leg looked like Brew McCoy's, though. That's for sure. It was nasty. As soon as we went down, I told my son, I was like, his foot is pointing the wrong direction. So Daniel asked a really good question here. I'm going to come back to this at the end because I think this is a great question. So I'm going to come back to that. I've got it starred. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Penalties are harsh this year. I'm no, I'm a homer, but microscope on the balls. Absolutely. Absolutely. Viewing penalties on opponents through a kaleidoscope while jogging. Nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, Audrey said, we don't have to listen to Gary ever again. <laughs> I have this. Carl said last this, game about Gary. <laughs> I have this like incredible fear that at the end of the year, something's going to happen. Contracts are going to get renegotiated and somehow he's going to end up on ESPN and we're going to be dealing with him all over again. <laughs> uh, Jared, welcome, Jared. Good to have you, buddy. He said, Hinton Hooker made us believe we were ahead of schedule. A couple of years we were in Auburn shoe and losing. To, uh, okay, good point. A couple of years ago, we were in Auburn shoe losing the New Mexico State caliber teams. Yeah, Auburn got beat 38 to 10, I believe. Uh, by or 31 to 10, one of the two, it was 30 10. something to 10, 31 to 10, uh, by New Mexico State yesterday. So, good thing, my goodness, can you imagine what would be happening right now? Um, and it wasn't that close, you know. Jared's exactly right. If we see the progression, think about 2019, you know, with, with Pruitt losing to Georgia State, BYU back to back weeks. 
uh, now to here we are and we're ticked off at eight and four. I mean, like that's certainly improvement. Um, let's see. Here's the crazier part. New Mexico state held Auburn to 213 yards of total offense. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Carl said, got my tinfoil hat on, but I'm certain Sankey has the officials targeting ball starting last year. Who were the threats for Bama and Georgia? Well, I mean, that's fair. I, I get it. I don't necessarily, we've talked about this before. I don't necessarily think it's, um, I don't necessarily think it's the conference trying to run anything. I think Josh Heupel's just pissed off the wrong people too many times. Uh, right. You know, we, every coach has the ability to write in complaints, to send in video and go, why is this guy calling this? What's going on with this? But there's like a fine line in any level of coaching. You only do that so much. Um, at some levels of coaching, they even give you like one black ball a year. You can say, we don't ever want to see this individual show up for one of our games. Um, but when you start stepping over that line and start inserting yourself and complaining too much and sending lots of complaints, eventually they start telling the officials the complaints that are coming in. And the, the officials are human. And they're like, wait, that joker sent in five more this week? Um, I think he's angered the wrong people and it's gotten personal now. Yeah. Uh, Eric said, I hope Jordan Seaton signs with Tennessee. He'd be a baller at tackle for Glenn Ellerby. I mean, he's got the size and smarts and listens and isn't afraid of hard coaching from what I've heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be wonderful to have any five star that want to sign for sure. Yeah. Elijah might have the comment of the night. This is a fantastic take from Elijah. He's crediting Georgia's discipline. And he said they had maybe one false start in the literally the loudest environment in college football history. That's wild. And I agree. It is. That's incredible. Um, I mean, kudos to them. I mean, that, that's a really was, good point, Elijah. And it was the center who fell out of his stance. It wasn't even um, an actual false start. It was a guy not being balanced. <laughs> uh, Robert, I believe, is referring to the pass we were talking about earlier to Chaz Nimrod. The refs didn't call pass interference on the fourth and goal, and that was a touchdown taken away from us. Um, absolutely. Um, Rusty, welcome, Rusty. He said, if I had to pick the top four best-looking teams right now at this moment for the playoffs, it would be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon. Um, that's pretty good. That's uh, true. Um, Audrey. <laughs> She said Coach Freeze melting on the hot seat. Not yet, but if he loses to Mexico State next year, he will be. Yeah. Or a, a New Mexico State-esque team. They won't play him two years in a row. But, um, so let's go on. I got. I start a comment from the only 10 you see as well. She had a good question. Uh, let's go on to our last two segments <laughs> now that we're an hour in. And uh, I love it. It's awesome. And then we'll uh, we'll come back to those two comments I've starred there. Uh, hit hit Carl's comment real fast there because we need to respond to that. All right, let's see here. Carl said, "Calling out BS is what we want from our coach. That's fighting for your players." It is to a point, and there is there's a fine line, and you can call it out up to that point. But again, officials are thin skinned. 
Yeah. And, and if you're getting complaints filed on you every single week for an entire season, it gets to a point where you're like, you know what? You want to see me call some stuff? I'll call some stuff. Um, and, sure. you know, he's I think he's crossed the line with some officiating crews and they're not going to have it. Uh, let's see here. So I'm going to I'm going to start on this one, the player of the game. So uh, did we have one of those? Well, I was going to say Chaz Nimrod just because he caught the ball. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But then I changed it. My player of the game is all of the fans that were in that stadium yesterday that broke the literally the history in college football, made the loudest stadium in the history of the game. That's awesome, man. That's my player of the game is all of all nation who was there um, making that the loudest environment in the history of college football. That's I mean, that's incredible when you stop and think about it. the history of the sport. That's that's amazing. So that's my player of the game. Who was yours, Rustin? I'm going to give it to Will Brooks. Um, He got put in an extremely difficult position covering probably the best passing attack, maybe second best in the SEC. Um, You know, LSU has a couple of stars, but Georgia probably has the more complete group. Um, You know, he had six tackles. Um, He was playing his tail off. He, He didn't grade out great, but it wasn't for lack of effort. Um, he, I think he was probably playing harder than anybody on the field and, you know, to be, to be third on the team in tackles as a walk on playing against the number one team in America, you showed up. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. I like aftermath, Chris Carson Beck, (laughs) this player of the game. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, no doubt he played well. Uh, I like what Audrey said about complaining about officials. She said, perhaps do your job and you won't get complaints. <laughs> That's, fair. That's fair. I don't know that it's just the complaints and only 10 you see actually mentions it in that next, next comment. Um, I think it's a combination of the complaints and how much he talks on the sidelines. Uh, let's see. Uh, Eric said, I don't think Bama getting in the college football playoff, uh, there's teams that still undefeated, and some of those teams are going to remain undefeated. I don't think if Bama beats Georgia in a C championship, they get in. Correct. The only the only way Alabama could even possibly get in is if they win the SEC championship game, and then it becomes who else loses because Texas, Texas and Florida State have to lose. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um. Tony said, I don't want any SEC team to win anything. I don't, I don't care about the Vols. <laughs> I love it. Uh, they won't say it out loud, but the NCAA committee is freaking out if that happens. <laughs> They're like, no, we need ratings. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, Billy said, I agree. If you complain too much, it'll come back to bite you. Uh, let's see. Rusty said. And and I love, if y'all don't know. About, okay. If y'all don't know, um, there's a rules committee in college basketball. There's a rules committee in every college sport. And the really, really smart coaches who want to get away with talking more volunteer to be on the rules committee. For those of you who don't know, the chair of the NCAA basketball rules committee is Deacon Richard Barnes. Barnes, yeah. (laughs) And if you watch Rick Barnes during games, he rides refs as much or more than literally anybody 
but he gets away with it because they know he's the head of the rules committee. <laughs> uh, so what was your play of the game? I mean, I think uh, there's only I think one, right? I think it's play <laughs> one. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was the right call. Javante Spragans made a great block. Cooper Mays made a great block. And then Jalen yep. Wright. I mean, my goodness. I would Agreed. love to know what his max velocity was when he was running because he ran past those two Georgia DBs like they were standing still. And then pulled away from him. Like yeah. that was the thing. Like that was why it was my, I mean, it was the only play of the game, honestly. But I mean, like it was when he, the reason I chose it was because he outran, like he pulled away yeah. from those guys. It was incredible to watch. And I saw Cooper somebody Mays this morning who block. said, I saw somebody this morning who said, Hey, I'm looking forward to the show tonight. And I was like, yeah, I might wear a cup. And uh, he <laughs> said, he said, well, I will say this. It was the most exciting 11 seconds of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a guy text me this morning as a, a group text in our small group. <laughs> he, he was texting all the guys in the group and he said, so I turned the game off after the first play. I'm thinking about going back and rewatching it now, but based on that, we won, right? <laughs> he was joking around. But, uh, I said, 100%. Yes. That's what happened. <laughs> uh, Audrey said, did anyone else see Roman Harrison get choke slam by number 69 and 77? I did not see that. Mm-hmm. Um, let me know. Was that in the first or second half? And I'll go back and try to find it. Yeah. I missed that. Um, let's see. Oh, good point. Uh, only 10 you see said the crazy thing is Mark Stoops yells and screams at refs every play and they let it slide. But I think he's earned it with his teen tenure. I think that's fair. I think certain, certain coaches get away with a little mm-hmm. bit more based on how long they've been doing it. I will say though, if you look at it, Kentucky gets penalized a lot. Aftermath Chris said his play of the game was a decibel record. Yeah, I agree. Um, Rusty said Nico should be able to play this next game. I hope so. Yeah, he will. Hopefully we're we're winning. Oh, thank you, Audrey. I'll send you the video. Appreciate it. He'll win um, or he'll play this game and the bowl because the bowl doesn't count against eligibility. So bowl doesn't count. Um let's see. The only 10 you see mentioned that play where Squirrel tried to screen block. Yeah, he got blown up by that safety. <laughs> That's one of those plays yeah. on, on Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, whenever they do their film time, you're like, Hey, can we fast forward like for yeah. minutes? Um, I don't really that, know this again. That safety blew him up, man. I felt bad that for him. That was not good. Um, let's see. Carl said officials should do post game as well. He said, I know they're part part time, but if you're willing to make a call with a million people viewing on live TV, you can respond to some critical calls, accountability. And, and 100% agree. What Carl just said that's probably the most disturbing, and I still to this day do not understand. This is a billion-dollar industry. Why are the refs part-timers? Like, it's not yep. like we can't afford full-time officials. Like, yep. what in the world? Totally agree. Well, uh, in other athletic news relating to the balls uh, elijah said why are they part-time yeah i agree man like <laughs> uh totally agree that's and, and and here's the crazier part the guys in the sec right now big 10 sec acc pac 12 big 12 that's like 
That's like the Super Bowl of officiating. Those five conference crews are supposed to be the best of the best. And the guys calling the lower levels are trying to work their way up to that point. But they're all part-timers. And they all get travel expenses to fly to these games. They show up. Um, we're gonna have we're gonna have a uh, a Big Twelve official on here at some point. Um, I have a a friend that um, is a Big Twelve official, and he agreed to come on when the season's over. But I want him to just explain to everybody what their typical weekend looks like. It will blow your minds. Like nothing about it makes sense. And and what's crazy is the refs themselves are even saying nothing about this makes sense. Um, but it's just a it's just a greed thing. Like they they just are part time because the NCAA just wants more money. That's all it comes down to. So Audrey just sent us this video on uh, on Twitter. Thank you, Audrey, for sending this. So here's Roman Harrison. Can you see my mouse? Can you see yeah. that? Yeah, okay, he's cool. lined up off sides. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> um, so here's Roman Harrison. He's going to come inside and he gets hit by both of these guys right here, the right guard and the right tackle. And to, unfortunately for Roman, he left his feet. Yeah. that You don't things, want to do that against Amarius Mims. Things got very bad for Roman after he left his feet. So here's, here's the play. Desire in this play. Let's get it closer for a field goal. Not likely to pick up the first down. Ooh. So he cuts inside 77. Which that's Mims, right? Yep. Uh, 77 blocks him into the guard who then throws him down. It's pretty stinking wow. impressive. So the guard, the guard got the benefit of the choke slam. So he gets to brag about it. But Amarius Mims just took a grown man off his feet with a hand shutter. Um, NFL scouts are going to watch that play right there and go, "I want seventy-seven. What round can we get him in?" I mean, that is a that is a grown man that he just removed from his feet. Roman Harrison didn't jump. Amarius Mims blew him up. Yeah, that was not pretty. <laughs> that was that was not good. Um, that will be on the Georgia highlight reel for a very, very long time. Rusty said Carson Beck was eyeing Bowers the whole way. I would too, actually. <laughs> uh, that dude's the best player in America. I'm going to throw it to him. <laughs> uh, oh, Rusty, good question. He said, how will the two SEC championship team game teams be decided next year and moving forward? So since there are no more divisions next year, it'll just be the two top highest, team. you know, top two teams in the, as far as like conference record, same way as this year, conference record, the two top teams, they'll play each other. Now where it gets tricky is if there's a three-way tie because next year, it is possible that there could be a three-way tie and there would not be uh, head -to -head. common opponents or head-to-head. -head. So if there's no head-to-head -head, and if there's no common opponent to measure it against, all of a sudden that third criteria for what would be the tiebreaker becomes really, really subjective. And so uh, that's, that's what's going to be fascinating to watch next year is how they decide. And I'm certain, I'm certain that will be a massive 
point of discussion at the coaches meetings, SEC coaches meetings in uh, the spring, because that is going to be a big, big deal. Uh, that it's like I said, there it is very, very likely that there could be three teams that have the exact same conference record and potentially the same overall record, and they don't have the head-to-head matchup, and they don't have a common opponent within the conference. It gets real dicey real quick. Um, Aftermath, Chris said, college ball programs have enough money to easily pay Jimbo Fisher $26,000 a day till 2031, but we can't pay refs to do their job. <laughs> I saw, I saw a number great the other day. I saw a number the other day. Jimbo Fisher is making over $8,000 an hour. That's pretty good salary. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's pretty good, pretty good salary. That's a great point, Aftermath. Good, that's, that's a good job, buddy. Audrey said, uh, Brock Bowers re-injured his ankle again, didn't he? That is correct. He did. Yeah. Uh, he did not return to the game after he injured it. Um, so hopefully, I think, he just, you know, I think he just tweaked it. He was walking around on it after the game. So I think he just, I think he tweaked it and they just pulled him out for precautionary reasons. Yeah, I mean, he, unfortunately, it wasn't a situation where he had to go back in. So, yeah. unfortunately, and they've got and they got Georgia Tech this weekend, so he can sit that one out and they'll be just fine. I will bet he does sit it out because Georgia Tech will block his ankles out from under him. Uh, yeah. That's what they're known for. So, uh, let's see. The only ten you see said all this being said. Hey, great point. Great point. Um, she said all this being said. I'm so happy that I'm upset about an eight and four season. What a blessing. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And that, that's Carl kind of alluded to that earlier. He said the hypo era bad is eight and four, not four and eight, like we've seen in other previous coaching regimes. So yep. totally agree. Uh, the two comments that I starred that I'd like to go back to to end the show. Um, the only 10 you see said, I've been hearing some grumbles about hiring analysts for adjustments during games. I don't think we do well making in-game adjustments. What do you guys think? Uh, no reason not I to. Mean, Sure. Uh, bring in the best, you know, um, because that, that becomes your coaching pipeline as well. Um, so, I mean, I, like we, right now we got, what's his, what's his face? What's his name? That's the offensive analyst that played oh, yeah. at Florida state. Several, um, played for hypo at UCF uh, and then it's Kenzie, Milton. Kenzie Milton's one of them, but that's who I'm thinking of. We've got three analysts on each side of the ball. I mean, that's, it's, it's the exact same thing they did with Halsley. Uh, Halsley yeah. played for Heupel at Oklahoma. And so now uh, they they have a former player who is an analyst. That's the pipeline. I mean, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, Daniel asked a really good question. He said, how do you manage next week? I would rather have Nico play all game just for bowl season. But if Joe starts, what is the crowd response when he finally comes out? It could get awkward. Uh, so I will say this. It got awkward at the UTSA game when Nico came in the game. Um, the crowd erupts for Nico. I mean, Joe hears that. That's awkward. Of course, you know, then Nico threw a ball, a dart, straight to Dante Thornton, hit him right in the hands, and he dropped it. And a dude two rows behind me goes, well, that ain't a good pass. And I'm like, he threw it right into his hands. So, I mean, like, people are going to turn on Nico every bit as much as they did on Joe when people don't catch the ball. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um I'm, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to make a statement here that I know people are going to be pissed off about. Well, I will say this. 
imagine being George McIntyre or Merklinger and they've watched Joe wait his time. And the team, he has the team's confidence. Um, it's, it's his team. And they remove him just to focus on next year. What message does that send to recruits? If you're not playing, you know, if we're not, you know, winning every game, even if you're not playing terrible, but you're not going out and winning games with your legs or something like that, but, you know, you're not losing the games for us either. We're going to pull you and just focus on what's after you. Forget about your NFL career. We're not going to give, you know, we're not going to show confidence in you and let, you know, NFL scouts see that. We're just going to pull you and focus on next year. What does that send to recruits? Not a good message. Not a good message. So, so, so number one, it's senior day. Joe is absolutely starting. So yeah. everybody just needs to get that out of their heads. Because um, there were a lot of people talking to us on Twitter today saying, it's got to be Nico. It's got to be Nico. And I, I don't think it's got to be Nico. And I think Rustin's exactly right. It's senior day. Number two, Joe couldn't give a crap less what anybody in the stands is yelling or chanting. Neither does Josh Heupel. And, you know, the reality is when you're on that field, you don't even hear what people are chanting. Half the time, you're so, you're, you're so accustomed to zoning out all that noise. Like, they, they have no, they don't care and they don't hear it. So that crowd could chant, Nico, 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 all they want. Joe doesn't hear a word of it nor does he care. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what they chant. It doesn't matter what they want and they don't get a vote. And this isn't Butch Jones. Butch would sit and listen to the crowd, AKA Nate Peterman experiment. Um, Josh Heupel doesn't care what the crowd's doing. He doesn't care what the crowd says. He could not care less. And he doesn't hear any of it. You know, when he when he goes to his post game and he talks about crowd was great, really appreciated that. That's just coach speak. He's just saying what he has to say. He didn't hear any of it. He's focused on what's going on in the field. And, you know, the, the people who think that if they chant loud enough or if they're vocal enough online that something's going to change. It's not. These these people are professionals making millions of dollars. They couldn't care less what you think. Or me or Rustin or anybody. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't care. It, it makes zero, it makes zero, zero effect on them. None. Well, so that's why, um, you know, um, Daniel said, thanks guys. I agree. Just didn't know what the thought was from the players. I agree with you, man. I think that the players would not like it. I mean, like, I, I think, you know, they know Joe's sat and earned his time. They know. And so I think they're they're I think they're huge fans of Nico, obviously cheering for him. I mean, we saw that when he had his first touchdown pass. But they also know that and that's the thing. And they know Joe gives them the best chance to win right now. And that's we had a guy on Twitter today, and I I, I, I <laughs> probably shouldn't even talk about it. But yeah, um, we probably don't need to bring up if if you if you have a couple hours to burn, um, we've got a Twitter post from today with about thirty thousand views at this point, and uh, the stream is quite entertaining. But it will take you a while. Uh, there's one guy who said that Josh Heupel intentionally tanked this year <laughs> by sticking with Joe and not putting in Nico, and I'm like, 
that has to be the dumbest thing I've heard literally all season. Uh, I Don't you think Heupel knows that a coaching position in the SEC, you kind of don't get to tank a season intentionally uh, for a lot of reasons, but particularly because you'll get fired. <laughs> Just ask Zach Arnett if he can make it. Pa- one season matters. Poor Zach didn't even get one season. He well, got 10 games and he was gone. And and my and and well, there's a lot more to that too, though. I mean, he lost and they scored 41 points today or yesterday after he left. Yeah, um, there's a lot more to that, though. I mean, he lost the locker room, he wasn't a good manager of people, like he was never getting that job. But, um, you know, (laughs) so there's a lot more that goes into this than just X's and O's. But, um, you know, my favorite part of that was when did eight and four become tanking? Like, just that statement alone, it's it's just like there were multiple people who were saying we're good with mediocrity. When did eight and four become mediocre? Kentucky would love to be mediocre if that's the case. Yeah, ask USC right now how they feel about it. They're seven and five with the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback right now. Um, I bet they would like to be eight and four in the SEC right now. Um, let's see. Bunch of we'll comments see, just came through. We'll see Nico for probably half the Vandy game. And then depending, depending on you don't want it, Audrey, it doesn't pay well. Um, <laughs> and then, um depending on you know how the bowl game goes, we'll see him for at least a half in the bowl game. I appreciate that, Audrey. Audrey said fine, I'll take an analyst job. <laughs> I like it. SEC um, analyst jobs <laughs> have to pay thirty thousand dollars a year. It's not it's not what you want. Carl said, but not Butch Jones as an analyst, right? <laughs> Audrey said, no. <laughs> I like Rob. I like Robert's point. He said, Connor Stallings is looking for a job. <laughs> uh, let's see. He's just biding uh, his time till Harbaugh goes to the NFL. Then he'll get a job as an analyst with some NFL franchise and get paid to steal signs. Yeah, for real. Apparently, he's good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Audrey, not very good at hiding what he's doing, but he's good at stealing oh. him. Uh, Audrey said, let Joe play. Absolutely. Um, the only 10 you see said, eh, it's just two more games and it's Nico's team. We've rode with Milton this long and we have to, because that old line, the coaches have no interest in getting Nico hurt. Absolutely. Yep. Amen. Absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, Carl said, that's why we have the Volbros, a place to be heard for fans. Amen, brother. I agree. We, we let people express their opinions. No, no, no point. Uh, Oh, wow. Hey, I wonder if this is the guy who's talking to us on Twitter today. Uh, anyway, so Eric said, um, Eric said, I think Joe should get to start against Vandy. He has waited his turn to start QB, and he's a senior, and this is Saturday, senior day. That's why I said let Nico go in the second half. Totally agree, Eric. 100% agree. Uh, Vol Slim Jimmy. Welcome, Vol Slim Jimmy. It's good to have you, buddy. Uh, he said, you guys are emotionally attached hardcore to Joe. Do you have a quarterback guru ego also? Just kidding. Quarterback guru uh, ego. I mean, I'm so, not emotionally attached to Joe Milton. I am emotionally attached, unfortunately, to Tennessee football. <laughs> so, And if Joe Milton, and I also think that Heupel's not a doofus. And I think that Josh Heupel is going to put the person on the field who ha- gives them the best chance to win. I don't think he's going to be like, well, that guy actually gives us the best chance to win, but I'm going to play this guy instead because for reasons I can't explain, 
we're just going to go with him. Uh, that makes no sense. Literally none. And so Heupel is going to put the best players on the field. Clearly, he and the offensive staff believe that Joe Milton gives them the best chance to win. It's really that simple. Yeah. He also just watched a colleague get paid $76 million to go away. Um, you know, he's he's in a world where he's paid to win. And so he's going to do whatever he needs to do to win. And he's going to win at such a level that he can get to that buyout life um, because that's where everybody wants to get to. Uh, Audrey said, should have been hidden in New York. I agree with that. Totally. Uh, Rusty said, Vols 2024 schedule does look pretty good. I just got Georgia Sooners and Bama in a row. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I'll uh, tell you, the more you watch Oklahoma, it's like, is that really? I mean. It'll be at Oklahoma, unfortunately. Yeah, but um, Dylan Gabriel's gone. And, I mean, you look at what they have yeah. behind him and the well, team's not very good. Yeah, the, the whoever's playing quarterback against us that day is, I don't think, is currently on their roster. Uh, and, so it'll be somebody else. And they'll be functioning with a new offensive coordinator because by this time – in well, three months from now, Jeff Lebby's going to be a head coach somewhere. So Probably. you're right. You know, they're they're going to be trying to learn a new OC, new quarterback. Like it's that ain't going to be a tough game. Jeff makes a great point. He said, "What benefit would you get for tanking a season in college? The first draft pick." <laughs> That's a great point, Jeff. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, Eric said, eight and four is not mediocre. It's not too bad a season with all the talent we lost in the NFL last season." Uh, eight and four is good in the SEC after losing the talent that we lost, and um, and, and the talent we lost this year. I mean, right, you know, decimated by injuries. Keenan Peely would make a massive difference right now. You know, people are chirping about Willie Martinez, but last year who was our worst defensive back? Kamal Haddon. This year, who's our best defensive back? Kamal Haddon. And, you know, that's because of the time he spent with Willie Martinez figuring out what he needed to do to be successful. We could badly use Kamal Haddon right now. Badly. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Jeff said, I don't know if the whole team supports Joe. Several defensive players complaining about him on the sidelines during the Missouri game. Uh, Rusty said, put that's, Peyton that's Manning in the booth. Put Peyton in the booth calling plays. Heck, Dolly Parton could even hang in booth with him. <laughs> well, well Heupel's calling the play, so <laughs> Peyton likes Heupel. So um, I don't, uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the only thing you see is how much truth is the rumors about Nico's parents not wanting him to play this season. Probably zero. Rumors yeah. are rumors. It, you know, every every college program in America, from the Power Five all the way down to Division Three. Um, preseason after fall camp's over with, you sit down with every single player and talk about what their role is going to be for the year. And I guarantee you at the end of fall camp, Josh Heupel sat down with Nico and said, our best, best option for you is we get you in four games plus a bowl game. We redshirt and you're the guy next year, but that gives us, you know, the opportunity to go find somebody in the portal to be your backup that way next year we can redshirt Jake Merklinger and get two years between you and him. And then the following year we can redshirt George McIntyre and get two years between him and Jake. If you go back to the mid nineties and early two thousands, when Tennessee was pumping out big name quarterback after big name quarterback, 
That was the system that was in place. We go get a big name. We redshirt them, get two years between them and the guy behind them. And every two years, we've got a new stud stepping into the system. And, you know, that that's the, been, that was decided before the season started. I guarantee it. Um, I mean, that's exactly what happened with T. Martin. He had two years uh, as a starter. Uh, the only reason Peyton had four was because of an injury in his freshman year. Uh, otherwise, Peyton would have had three. Um, the only the only caveat to that whole program was uh, the Iceman. Uh, that was it. Um, so I mean, you know, there was also there was also some weird injury stuff in those years that forced some of those decisions. Like those were not decisions they wanted to make. Right. Uh, but Casey Clawson, I mean, he's the only one. Uh, you know, he he was it. And uh, yeah, so I mean, even Peyton. Peyton wasn't supposed to start. That was an injury decision. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Daniel said he thinks he's going to make the trip to Norman next year. I mean, I'd love to. It'd be awesome. It'd be really good. Oh, yeah. You want to talk weird quarterback decisions. The one that's going to be most fascinating to watch at the end of this year is Arch Manning. Speaking of Mannings, yeah, because him earlier. Because Quinn Ewers won the job. Everybody thought Arch has got to be the backup. And then we learned that actually Quinn Ewers didn't have the, the the locker room. Malik Murphy did. And so when Quinn Ewers goes down, Malik Murphy steps right in and plays great. And, you know, he was the clear backup. I would encourage people to go, look, Arch Manning has not stepped on the field this year. He hasn't taken a snap. I think he might have played in one game, maybe. Mm-mm. He has yeah. not stepped on the field. Um, You know, so – uh, the interesting element. Team. He said, Alabama fan here, man, oh man, them balls got tore out the frame. Hey, uh, thank you for watching and improving our analytics. We appreciate that. Uh, thanks. Um, let's see. And, and if you weren't on earlier, I complimented Alabama and said they might be the most improved team in America right now. And honestly, probably the second best team in America. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tony said Nico's parents wanted him redshirt if possible. Correct. This came from his high school coaches. Sure. But I'm sure it was because uh, of a conversation that took place at the end of fall camp, which is what happens with every player. Uh, Zach said, Hey, you can't spell stud without UT LOL. And Audrey said, Arch could always transfer to his uncle's alma mater. <laughs> uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens because, you know, Malik Murphy's a redshirt freshman. There's there's only one year between him and Arch, and everybody around the Texas program has said that whole locker room looks to Malik Murphy for leadership, not Quinn Ewers. So it's going to be I really mean, interesting to see what happens there. This is now my favorite comment of the of the night. Uh, Dester said it was so loud we couldn't hear Dolly. Sad. <laughs> and Dolly couldn't hear herself. Yeah, say, Dolly couldn't hear either. And she was kind of ticked about it. You could tell on TV, like she mentioned it twice on TV. Yeah. Like I, I, my, my earpiece wasn't working. I couldn't hear it. <laughs> um, she wasn't happy about that. Uh, let's see. Well, so tomorrow, uh, the lady, well, actually let's start with today uh, and other. Yeah. Dolly couldn't hear Dolly. That's what Audrey just said. That's right. <laughs> um, so today the lady balls just absolutely dominated the, Troy University Trojans, um, I mean, just dominated them. 
And so I think it was 100 to 73, I think was the final score. Is that right? 100 to something, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was 71 or 72, but yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. So, I mean, they just, they just dominated them. Uh, tomorrow, a star-studded Maui Invitational starts tomorrow. You want to talk about a fun early season tournament? Yep. It's the Maui Invitational this year. Uh, Tennessee plays um, tomorrow at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, if they win tomorrow, who are they playing tomorrow? I can't even remember. Syracuse. Yeah, Syracuse. That's right. Uh, if they if they beat Syracuse, then they play the winner of the number two and number eleven teams in the country right now. So, uh, just an absolutely loaded field in Maui. Um, so it'll be fun to see the the Vols and, play. Hopefully, and number ones ahead. in the opposite bracket. So yeah. if if Tennessee were to win the Maui Invitational, they're going to have to beat Syracuse, then number two Purdue, then number one Kansas. Uh, so, I mean, you know, just a, just an going to be incredible tournament to watch. Uh, hopefully, uh, Audrey, as we play at what time we play at two 30 Eastern time. Yeah. I believe it's on ESPN, but I could be wrong about that. It's on ESPN too. Oh, there you go. ESPN if they two. win, if they win, they play Tuesday night at eight o'clock on ESPN. If they lose, they play Tuesday afternoon at two 30 on uh, ESPN two, but even if they, which I don't think they're going to lose to Syracuse, but if for some reason they did, even if they lose, they're pro- they're playing the loser of Gonzaga and Purdue. And Purdue. So even the right. losers bracket in Maui is going to be loaded. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. If you like college <laughs> basketball, it'll absolutely be an incredible tournament to watch. Uh, <laughs> just said, number five in the country is also in the other bracket. That's right. Yep. Uh, Zach said Tennessee's going to be number one after Maui. I love it, Zach. <laughs> I love it, man. That's awesome. Um, whoever so, wins, it Daniel, definitely will be. Daniel said, Vols by Fitty and Maui tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I here's my hope for when they leave Maui. A couple of years ago, there was a real problem with moisture on the court in Maui, and uh, it was just I guess it was so humid, I don't know what the deal was, but that there was like crazy amounts of moisture all over the court a few years ago, and people yeah. were sliding all over the place. Um, it was just, it, they had the towel boys out like every time out, wiping down almost the whole court. There was so much moisture. Hopefully that is not the case this week. Um, I'm hoping we leave Maui injury free. That's that's my hope. Uh, the only Oh, thank you so much. The only 10 you see said, I always enjoy fam. Got to head to bed until next time. And we appreciate that so much. Thank you. That was very kind of you. Thank you. Um, so the guys play tomorrow at 2.30. Uh, Kinnett, uh, Carl said Kinnett's 28 points. Bless you. <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome. talk about a major transfer. That was incredible. Syracuse is going to play that zone the whole game. So somebody could, he or Jordan Ganey, one or the other, could get loose and fill it up. Uh, Zach posed a hypothetical question. He said, Who would start, Nico or Arch? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Nico personally. I think the um, fact that Malik Murphy beat out Arch should tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. Uh, Eric said, it's very possible Tennessee could be number one after Maui. If they if they win the tournament, absolutely. Uh, no, no doubt about it, for Whoever sure. Whoever wins the Maui Invitational, when that thing's over with, will be number one in the country. Totally agree. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
Um, well, well, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we thank you all so much for joining us tonight. Um, Thursday night, we have our last preview game or preview episode. Wait, game preview episode? Man, that's hard to say. Uh, so we have. Oh, you're right. We are not going live on Thursday night. We'll have to figure out when we're going to go live. Probably either be Wednesday or Friday. We'll talk about it. Um, next Thursday, the 30th, I haven't even told you yet this, but it was confirmed today. Uh, next Thursday, the 30th, former Vol Jerron Maiman will be on with us live to uh, talk hoops and to unpack the North Carolina game, which is Wednesday, the 29th. That's awesome. That's that's really exciting. Um, so uh, we hope uh, everybody will join us either Wednesday or Friday this week to preview what's happening on Saturday. Um, it is a 3.30 kickoff this Saturday, but it's on SEC Network. It is not on CBS. It's on the SEC Network. Um, so we hope everybody, when everybody joins us on Wednesday or Friday. If it's Friday and we don't see you before, then we hope all of you have a fantastic Thanksgiving we are certainly thankful for all of our Volbros family for joining us every week. We mean that. Uh, we love this. We love talking with you all so much. Um, let's see. Uh, Elijah was talking about Maui. He said, whoever wins needs to be number one. Totally agree. Zach said he's off to bed too. Good night, Zach. Hope you have a great day tomorrow, buddy. Um, Daniel said it's been a real nice surprise, Clark. Later, fellas. <laughs> I love it. Um, Rusty said, great show. Have a great and safe Thanksgiving, everyone. Totally agree. Thank you, buddy. I uh, hope you have a great Thanksgiving as well. Carl said, thanks as always, bros. Absolutely. We love having you, Carl. Thank you, man. Uh, Eric said, great show. Vols, Vol bros, talk to you later. Uh, next time, y'all have a good night. Hey, thank you so much. Elijah said, Vols are winning by 50 tomorrow. <laughs> that would be a statement. <laughs> um, Zach, Elijah said, all right, guys. Love the show. I'll tune in whenever I get a chance. Thank you so much. Uh, Audrey, good night. Hope you have a great day tomorrow as well. Uh, we hope all of you have a great, great day. I uh, hope that the, the the men's basketball team comes out on top tomorrow. And uh, we look forward to seeing everybody later this week. Uh, so good night and go Vols, everybody. We'll see you soon. <laughs>